Welcome to Business Book Talk, the best place to discover great business books. Bob Garlick has talked to over 400 authors, and his questions and comments always get you the best information about the book, the author, and the ideas behind each book. So let's see who Bob's talking to this week. Hey everybody, it's Bob here, and I've got all dreams on deck. I've got Jeremy Cage with me today. Charting the course for your life and work. And, you know, based on the cover and the words that you're using, obviously you are a bit of a uh, sailing buff, I would say. Uh, yeah, Bob, I uh, actually managed to, to uh, get the opportunity to take the kids out of school for, uh, for a year and a half. And my wife and our two kids uh, set sail and we sailed around the world. And that gave me plenty of time to... To, to think about this and capture it all in a book. <laughs> you know, how, how big was the boat? Uh, it was a 43-foot catamaran. The name was uh, Hakuna Matata. Nice. And uh, when we left, when we left our, our son was 12 and our daughter was 10. So, you know, you, you, and I did a lot of sailing when I was younger. 40-footer, um, that's not a massive boat, and you went around the world with it. You must have some amazing stories. Oh yeah, fantastic! I mean, you know, just uh, the Mediterranean, which is where we started. We did a big loop of the Mediterranean, and that was, of course, incredible. Just in terms of all of the sites and uh, and the the different cultures and the different challenges, and then of course across the Atlantic to the Caribbean, that was a, a whole new adventure. And and then we went through the canal and and down to the islands of the South Pacific and spent some time wandering through the islands of the South Pacific, which, as you can imagine, was also an amazing experience. Oh boy, yeah. Wow. I mean, do you think, you know, you do something like that with Anna. How old were the kids? Uh, Bradley was 12 and Elena was 10. Okay. So uh, they they came out of that. They must have been so much more mature and together by the time they, you know, ended the trip and went back to, to uh, basically a normal reality in, in, in on, on solid ground. Yeah, no kidding. No, it's, it really has... We wanted to actually go at an age when they were where they they were old enough to remember it, to be able to participate and really have it shape them, but still young enough that it was okay that we didn't you know mess up high school or boyfriends or girlfriends. And so you know that window is pretty short. Oh boy! <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, so we said, okay, well we got to go when they're when he's twelve and she's uh, and she's ten, and and that's what we did. Well, you know that's you know, and it's a great uh, segue into the book because the book is all about dreams, the power of dreams, and, and, and how to you know, deal with moving forward. When did you have the dream to, to go around the world? You know, I've had that, had that dream for a long time. And uh, my wife and I actually sat down when we first got married and we, we mapped out our dreams. Uh, and one of her top dreams was to, to travel around the world. And one of my top dreams was to sail around the world. And we said, okay, well, let's, let's plan on it. And, uh, and then we we started putting all of the pieces in in place to make it happen. Hmm. You know, I I uh, when I was uh, I have super vivid dreams. I mean, ridiculously vivid with a very very good production crew. And um, one thing that I, I have happening if if I've you know I've got a goal or a dream or somewhere I'm driving towards, when I'm getting closer or or, or I've met uh, an opportunity or a person that's going to bring me closer to that to that dream. I'll start to have a repeating dream happening. And, and do you think that uh, the subconscious plays a lot in driving you forward for your dreams? 
Well, I'm sure it. Do- I'm sure it does, and I'm not. I won't profess to be an expert on the subconscious at all. <laughs> but I, I do. <laughs> but I do actually suggest. You know, and this is what I challenge folks in the in the book is. You know, bring them out of the subconscious into the conscious, and then don't just don't just think about them. But what I what I try and lay out in the book is call all dreams on deck. Call all of the dreams you have for all of the different components of your life. Call them on deck, and then uh, and then figure out a plan to make them happen. Okay, so I think absolutely 100% of the population has a dream or multiple dreams in some cases. How does one get from, gosh, I wish I could do X, because basically that's what a dream is. It's, it's something that's not in your life and you feel it would fulfill you or driven towards or you think it's needed, and uh, get from that point to okay, now I'm starting to execute my dream because that's a big jump. I mean, and I'm talking about the psychological push you need to give yourself to actually take that first step on, on the thousand-mile journey. Yeah, I think the, the, the way that I articulate this is I think that most businesses and most people are going to die full of potential because we dream vaguely and we dread specifically. So we have a vague dream of what, that, of what success looks like for any particular dream. But because it's vague, you have all of these obstacles and fears and dreads that get in the way and paralyze you from ever from ever moving forward. So what I challenge readers to do and your listeners is to is to flip it on its head and dream specifically. And the more specific you can get about the dream, the the more you just deal with the fears and the dreads and the obstacles one by one. And I can I can talk a little bit about the, the sailing trip. We could have said one day we'd like to go. We'd like to sail around the world with our kids. But if that's a vague, that's what I call a vague dream. And what ends up happening is you say, okay, well, what about the mortgage? What about your career? What about the safety of the kids? What about this? What about that? What about storms? And all of that would paralyze us from actually making, you know, making the, the voyage. So what we did, as I mentioned earlier, is we said, okay, we need to go when Bradley's 12 and Elena's 10, which means that we need to go in 2007. So if we're going to go in 2007, you know, what do we need to do to be able to to make that happen. We need to talk to the company. We need to build a boat. We need to prepare the kids. We need to prepare ourselves. So it started to get very more specific. Uh, and I think that was a big contributor to why we actually made it happen. Hmm. You know, you've, you've used some really big keywords, uh, one specifics, one's mapping and stuff. It's almost like people are having dreams, but they're not taking responsibility for the dreams. They're, they're not taking them seriously. It's, oh, if only I could do this, or, oh, I have a dream to do that one day, or whatever. If they don't really take those dreams and say, okay, I am going to do X, and then start working towards it, and then planning towards it, they're never going to get there. So they're really, it's a delusional way of, of thinking. Um, do you think that you know why do people dream? I do think they're they're dreaming as just uh, something that's fun, and if only you know if I won the lottery, you know that's a classic question. What would you do tomorrow yeah. if you won the lottery? <laughs> and my question always is probably exactly what I'm doing right now. And a lot of people say, "What? Wouldn't you want to travel and stuff?" I said, I, I did that; it was great, and uh, now I want to do this. Well, what do you want to do? And I would say. Um, 99% of the people was, well, oh, I want to do this. I want to buy a car and, and I'll get a house. I say, great, where's the house going to be? Oh, I don't know. So, you know, that's what you're talking about is people don't have specific uh, goals attached to their dream or goals attached to their life. Do you think it's because they just don't want to put in the effort or they just don't know what to do? 
I think it's probably, you know, it's obviously each case, each case is going to be individual. I think I, I start from the premise that that dreams are the most powerful force on the planet. Uh, if you think about it, this country that we live in started as a dream. You know, like every business, every service, every car, every relationship, every like, I mean, if you if you really strip it down to it, it all started as a dream, whether it was articulated or not. These all started as dreams. And so. As I, as, I, as, I, as I said, I think the, the, the first thing to do is, you know, get really specific about your dream as much as you possibly can. And then to the point that you were just making, um, I introduced this concept called the ladder of intention, intentionality. And, that, and, and how do you go about climbing up the ladder of intention, intentionality? If you think about the lowest rung on that ladder would be just, as you were saying, just to think about something. You know, you have a thought, you think about it, it bounces around in your brain a little bit, and then you know, it can leave just as easily and no one's the wiser except for yourself. So there's really no risk in that and there's no intentionality there. So now, of course, if you if you climb up the ladder one rung and you, you write something down, then you're starting to get a bit more intentional, right? Because someone could hold you accountable to that thought. Uh, and that someone, by the way, could be yourself. That's why we love to-do lists because we love to hold ourselves accountable and cross them off. I think if you keep climbing up that ladder, then you get to declaring it out loud, you know, declaring your dream out loud, uh, your specific dream out loud. And then I think you're, you're, which is a lot riskier, by the way, and perhaps <laughs> a lot more uncomfortable. But, you know, you kind of keep climbing, right? And then I think the highest rung on the ladder of intentionality is declaring it in such a way that you get everybody else thinking, uh, you know, talking about it. So JFK was brilliant at that. He didn't just sit at his desk and write a memo that we were going to go to the, send a man safely to the, and, to the moon and bring him back to Earth you know, within the next decade. I mean, he was very specific about the dream, but he didn't just write it down. He actually declared it in such a way that the entire world was talking about it. And of course, you know, we achieved it ahead of schedule, even though we had no idea how to do that going in. Do you think that the entrepreneurial spirit is a a big factor in, in people that love to dream, but then move forward? Um, yeah, I mean, it depends on the entrepreneur, doesn't it? You've got a lot that uh, that give it one go and then they and then they uh, and then they give up. But yes, I think the serial entrepreneur is uh, is very much about that. They have a specific dream about this service or this product or or what have you, uh, and then they just get about doing it. Uh, and and I think again that 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 then layers to a couple of other things that I discuss in the book, which are there are two two things. One is planning and preparation. How do, you, how do you make sure that you're actually planning and preparing for that to come true? Uh, and then the, 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 the other really important component is actually building what I call your courage muscle. How do you go about <laughs> on a day-to-day building? I think courage is a muscle, and I think the more you practice it on the smaller stuff, the more you, you, know, the more you strengthen that muscle so that when, you, when you're faced with a big dream or a big decision, you have more courage to actually set sail. Well, you know, you, you know, it, it's so true. It, it's you've heard that everybody's heard this as well. You know, um, all the strife that you had in your life builds your character, and yeah, that's true. And I think somebody with a tremendous amount of character is somebody that's fearless. And the reason they're fearless isn't because they're some sort of hero figure. There's because they've done a lot of things in their life, and challenges just don't seem as daunting as they used to be psychologically. And, you know, there's a lot of people who go through life and, and they just seem to be lucky and things just fall in their place and they come along. But 
30, 40 years later, they run into a very small crisis and they fall apart because to them it seems tremendous. But for many, many other people that have struggled a little bit more in their life, they just blast through that and say, it's nothing. So right. for me, that's yeah. how I would perceive the, the, the muscle building part is, is it's not that it's any less difficult. It means you just understand, you have hindsight and you say, look, at, I'm just going to start pushing through this thing. And I know in a month or two months or two years, this is going to be gone. And I'm not going to worry about it. And you just keep on going. Well, that's right. And if, if I talk about, if we go back to the sailing thing for a second, you know, we've done all of the planning and preparation that we could possibly do. I'd taken marine diesel mechanics. My wife had taken uh, marine medical and abandoned ship training. We'd done navigation and boat handling training for the kids. We were petrified when we set out to cross the Atlantic for the first time. It's 3,000 miles of open ocean in a small boat. And no matter how prepared we were, at some point, we just have to literally set sail. And we were the first night out, uh, we were like, oh, my God, we're really this is really happening. And so we were really scared when that happened. But we went. We had the courage to go because we had planned and prepared so well. Now, when we left the Galapagos to sail across the Pacific Ocean to the islands of the South Pacific, it was like we were going for a day sail around the lake. Because, you know, we, we, weren't, we weren't scared at all, even though it's a longer ocean and, you know, and reputedly a more dangerous ocean. We weren't scared because we knew we could do it because we'd done it. So it's always, it's always taking that first step and saying, gosh, I, you've got to just summon the courage to be able to make that first step. And I think, you, as I say, I, I think you build that muscle over time. And the better you, you are in planning and preparing – the, the more intentional you are, the more specific your dream, that all builds your courage muscle so that ultimately you can, you, can, you can get going and you can start that new business or you can start that new career or you can you know, fix that relationship with your spouse or your son or your daughter. W whatever the dream is, because I don't think we just have one each, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, you, know, you, just, you, you, you follow that approach and I think it will really help you unleash your full potential as defined by you. Yeah, I was just thinking there that, you know, we you're right. We do have more than one dream. I mean, we will have multiple large dreams during our whole life, but we have tens of thousands or maybe millions of micro dreams. Um, you know, I wish I could lose a little bit of weight. I wish my daughter was happier. I wish um, I had a nicer car. I mean, those are really teeny tiny dreams. And a lot of people say, oh, my gosh, to get a new car, that's such a big dream. And I said, well, <laughs> not really. So... Um, do you think people dream too small or they don't realize that their goals or their dreams are attainable? They just never get around to pushing towards that or putting any energy in that direction. Well, I don't think – I actually don't think that, that every dream has to be a big dream. I think that the small dreams, uh, if you want to call them that, I think are equally important. So I introduce in the book this concept, what I call the lifeboat. If you throw everything into a lifeboat, it's going to sink, which obviously <laughs> defeats the purpose of the lifeboat. So in, in, you're a sailor, so you know that in a lifeboat you have these things called grab bags, which are, have the, like, the important stuff. And what I challenge readers to do, and I challenge your listeners to do, is define what are the important grab bags in your lifeboat. And then you look at those and you say, okay, so now what are the dreams that I have for each of those grab bags? So for me, just to give you an example, there's, yeah, there's work. But there's also family, there's uh, faith, there's my spirit, there's fitness, there's philanthropy. I've got, I've got about seven or eight what I call like really important grab bags uh, that, are, that are 
the really important components in my life. And I have dreams for each one. And my challenge is that how do I get specific and intentional and, and how do I plan and prepare for each of those to come to life? Let's dig down into the book a bit. Do you think it's a book that um, needs to be read from you know page one all the way all the way through, or is it one that that somebody could jump around a little bit if they felt they were in too much of a hurry? Well, I think it. I think each step builds on uh, the book builds on each of the concepts that are introduced in the previous chapters. But I do hope that it's used as I've actually included in the back of the book, as you've seen, is a, a workbook where people can actually be taking notes about what are their you know, like about their their grab bags and about their dreams and trying to get specific and planning and their intentionality and stuff. So, so I'm hoping that it's used not just as a uh, not just as a, a, a quick read, because it's actually, it's not a heavy book, just in, in the absolute. It's, a, it's designed to be kind of a light, fun, and, and adventurous read. Uh, but if you take the time to actually then go through the, the workbook or the exercises in the back, then I, then I think it's something that people will continue to refer back to. At least that's the experience that I've had so far. <laughs> what do you think of the concept of lazy dreams in the sense that you know, oh, I've got a dream, and it's like 99.9% fulfilled, and there's really no effort involved in, in making that dream come true, and then celebrating I reached my goal. Do you think that's, uh, you know, that's kind of out of the, 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 the strategy of this particular book, or is it still okay to, to just classify all goals as dreams? Yeah, just like, boom, go for it. I think that, that gets to the, if you will, the lowest rung on the, the ladder of intentionality. I think that's actually an important, you know, you've got to start climbing a ladder at some point, and and so you're going to have a lot, you know, like what teenage boy doesn't want to dream, doesn't have a dream of being a rock star, right? Okay, well, that's a, that's a fun dream. And it kind of comes in, you bounce it around. For most people, that dream just goes away. It's like, yeah, they had a dream or whatever. But for, for some, it really, it, it takes hold. And then, and then it starts to become a more serious dream and they want to dedicate themselves to learning guitar and then learning to sing. And then, so that's when they're climbing up the ladder of intentionality. But for most people, or for many people, you know, like the, the dream will come, it'll be a fun movie, if you will, in your mind, and then it can leave. And that's totally fine. It's, 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 has, it's, it's what's important to each individual. I, there's no, there's no one, if you will, solution or one right or wrong as it relates to dreams. But uh, I do think having just, you know, dreams that kind of come and go, that's, that's great too. Just don't expect it. Just don't expect, you know, like the dreams that come and go to, to help you, I, I think, unleash your full potential. I mean, I, I really think that if you if you look at it, and I, I talk about this in the book, I've had folks that have, have worked for me in large corporations who have clearly been in the wrong place, but they hadn't really articulated what the dream was for their life. And this is a big dream, obviously. And one of the things I'm proudest of is most people who I've actually fired or let go, of, I've, I've actually received thank you notes from because I've helped them get on a better path to achieving what's actually really important to them. Well, you know, that's a very good point. Um, you know, when you are dealing with staff and somebody that's a bad fit and you have to have that hard talk with them, um, how do you how do you handle that in the sense that, you know, you sit in the room and you say, hey, Joe, um, you know, it's just not working out and uh, I know you could be doing so much better and... Um, I really think that you would be happier doing X or working with a company that does more stuff like that. Is that too specific um, or 
you know, you don't, the whole thing, there, there's been a lot of books about, look, at if you're going to let somebody go, you have to let them go cleanly and you can't hang on and give them an excuse to come back. What do you think? Well, I think you need to be, uh, first of all, you should, you should really know your employees. I mean, especially your, your direct reports, you should really know them. So, so, uh, you know, I, I, I place a high emphasis on that because I think you actually deliver results through your people. So let's see, I'm going in with a going in assumption that I really know, like that you really know the, the individual. Uh, but I think it's really drawing out from them what's important to them as opposed to me as the, as the supervisor imposing what I think on them. It's drawing out from that individual what's important to them. This one individual that I talk about in the book He's working in the cosmetics business, but his real passion was to open a restaurant and be in the food and beverage business. Well, he had that had nothing to do with what he was doing here. And, and it took me a while to pull that out. Um, but then what I said, and I didn't give him an option to stay at the company, but what I said is, look, you know, you're a, a solid contributor. You don't have the profile that, that, that is going to succeed here. That's actually not what you want. And so I'm actually going to give you two months to go find a job. That's the only thing I want you to go do is go find yourself a job and you can still say you're employed by company X for those two months. And then I want you to be able to walk out of this, out of this building with your head held high into your new role. And of course that's exactly in that instance, what happened. Uh, he was at the assistant brand manager level where he stepped into a director job at a beverage company, uh, a small beverage company, but it was still from a self-esteem standpoint, you know, he was leaving because he had taken a job as director at this beverage company not because Jeremy had fired him. That worked for him, and that, that obviously worked for the company. Well, the, the thing, too, is is he was moving from one industry into, like, the beverage industry, which is a little closer, and the connections he would make in that new job would help him with his dream. Precisely. So it, all of a sudden, so he was, he'd gone from being severely off track. <laughs> um, and he, I, he didn't really even know it, because, you know, like, there's obviously security in that job and this, that, and the other, but... I, as I as I talk about in the book, and I would challenge you, you your listeners is I actually think the risk of not having that conversation with you uh, with yourself, and the risk of not summoning the courage to make that change, is higher than the risk of doing it, because at the end of the day, at the end of the road, we only go around once, and you're going to sit there and you're going to be thinking about, wow, I should have, could have, you know, would have, um, but, but so I think the risk to that is a. Uh, the risk to not doing it is a life of regret or a life of unrealized potential, as I talk about in the book, which I think is a much higher cost. Well, I think one of the biggest things that stops people from, you know, uh, even trying to attain any of their dreams or goals is that they're just scared of failure. They're scared of somebody saying no. And, and you know, it's there's that saying that if you never ask, the answer is always no, which, you know, you think about it and you think about it and you say, ah, you know, it sounds a little trite, but it's true. It's deadly true. If you don't go up and you don't walk up to your wife and say, honey, I'm not happy about this, she's never going to know. And then in three years, it's going to blow up in your face and it's going to be way worse. You've got to face your fears. You've got to get up. And that's part of your dreams is dreams aren't like, oh, everything's fine. And, you know, unicorns and rainbows. It's no, it's going to be some tough stuff. It's let's not be delusional about this. But if you're right. if you plan for it and you you, you 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 get ready and you've got it you've done all your due diligence, then go for it. I mean, you can always stop. You know, you don't have to. That's until right. you die. And you know what? And it's going to fail. I mean, if you actually look at on the on, from a business standpoint, uh, you know, new initiatives and actually new companies, it's depending upon your source. Between eighty to ninety percent of them fail. 
And, you know, who was it that said that failure is just the opportunity to begin again more intelligently? So you just got to, you know, you got to, you got to capture that learning and you got to, and you got to go forward. But I would, as it relates to business specifically, I would challenge any of, uh, any of the folks that, uh, that are listening to be as specific as possible about their dream and also to be able to articulate that whatever product or service it is that you're about to launch, that it be the most distinctive possible and the most relevant possible. Because if you get if you if you nail it on both distinctiveness and relevance, then I think the chances of you achieving that dream are significantly greater than than the average. Yeah, I, I'm just going to jump in here. We can use some some uh, sailing jargon to to drive people crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, when you're sailing and and you're on attack, which means you're going a a, a certain way using the wind, and that that the wind. Um, is, doesn't isn't blowing as well or, or you see over the ocean or the water there's a ripple and that's how you see if there's uh, wind in another area you can tack to to find the new wind to, to find higher velocity in in, um, in in the direction that you want to go and sometimes when you're sailing the wind isn't going the right way so you have to it's called tack and you tack back and forth you go all the way to the left and then you go all the way to the right and all the way to the left you're still going forward but it just seems that you're going oh my gosh we're going like half a kilometer or three kilometers or ten kilometers to the left and then you're going to the right you're still going forward but it just seems like you're way off track and it goes all the way back about uh, you know planning your dreams mapping out your dreams because if you have a goal then you're going to be able to know how far off you are. And then when an opportunity, as in new wind, is seen, uh, you know, maybe uh, 300 meters off in the left, then you keep on going and then grab it. And then suddenly you don't, you're not tacking as much. You're, you're going a little cl- closer and faster to the direction you want to go. That's right. Well, I mean, that tacking, ultimately, you know, as you say, you're moving forward. There's this this concept, as you know, in sailing called velocity made good. So it's velocity made good towards your destination. And I talk to, you know, and so you may, your boat may be sailing at, you know, 10 miles, 10 knots, but your velocity made good may only be five because you're, you're having to do all these tacking, as you said. So what I'm trying to do is help people understand what is their velocity made good towards their destination and what can we do as of now to actually accelerate that velocity made good uh, towards the destination. And, you know, the tacking we would do in, in business or in life is, you know, making sound decisions. And then sometimes, oh, gosh, the wind's not there when you get there. So it's like, okay, that was not as good a decision as I thought it was. Well, then get over it and look where you're going to go next. How can you improve the situation? Just don't have a little pity party and, and uh, lose your momentum because that's the toughest thing in business, momentum. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about pivots because um, I think it's an it's an amazing strategy. It enables us to do um, more with a business by taking the things we've learned by you know doing business for six months or a year or two years and realize that you know the direction we're going or the product we're developing isn't gonna fly. It's it's just it's not that you're giving up, but it's a strategic. Um, approach to to a changing market or supply and demand or whatever. Do you think uh, pivoting is is critical to people that are living a life that is driven by their dreams? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, but it, but I think that the foundation of some of that 
uh, is that you have to be able to listen. I, you know, I talk about courage, and I, I mentioned it earlier, but I think you have to have the courage to listen, uh, and I think you have to have the courage to accept reality quickly, and then I, I think you have to have the courage then to adjust course. <laughs> so, so I think there are multiple steps. This is why I talk about courage as a muscle because I think it's 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 fairly complex. It's a wonderful word, uh, but I, I think it's fairly complex. So you have to have the you know the the one skill. You know, we're taught to read, we're taught to write. We're, you know, we're not taught to listen in uh, in school. And I think listening to what's going on with your business, with your relationship, with your life is is really you know, obviously is, is, is incredibly critical, but then actually accepting reality quickly is in any business. I think it's, it's something that, that is, is so important is to understand if something's working, if it's not working and not denying, you know, when you're out at sea, if there's a huge storm coming towards you, you can't say, Oh, you know, maybe there's a storm. I mean, you have to get ready. You have to prepare for that storm. You have to, you know, you have to batten down the hatches. You have to, you know, reef the sails. You have to, accept reality quickly and then you have to take action so that you can navigate through that storm safely and i think it's exactly the same as it relates to pivoting in any business you've got to be able to you've got to be listening and listen by listening i mean to your to your consumers to your customers to your employees to your business model to your board whoever you have to accept that reality quickly. I'm not saying accept things blindly. I mean, but once you've understood it, you know, really accept it. And then you have to, then you have to take action, which may be a pivot. It may be a double down. It may be, okay, we've got, you know, we've got a great idea here, but we're just not bringing it to life properly. So this is what we need to do. So, so there, there are a few steps to it, but yeah, I think it's absolutely critical. And the ability to do that quicker is, uh, uh, I, I think is in your it gives you competitive advantage. If you think about hybrid cars, you know Toyota came out with the Prius. By the time some, many other manufacturers came out with their hybrids, you know Toyota was already on their third or fourth generation. So they were able to learn. They were able to launch, learn, change, launch, learn, change, launch, learn, change. So they just you know so they were able to consistently deliver a superior product. Well, and also, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, this is the this is the newest and the best," or nobody's ever thought of this before. Well, then, if that is really true, that's a fantastic uh, first-to-market opportunity. But with a first-to-market opportunity is a huge barrier, which is called education, acceptance of the product, uh, the consumer not being scared of that particular product, or don't ever believe in that product. So you've got a bit of a hill to go through, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a wonderful thing to do. But what happens is a lot of people. They use the excuse that, well, you know, we don't want to do that because then our competition is going to, you know, just uh, be successful on our coattails. Well, if, if that's your attitude, you're never going to be able to bring uh, a first-to-market pro product to market because you you got to just forget about that and say, well, who cares? We're going to do it, and we're going to do it better, and it will give us a competitive advantage. And sure, we'll have competition. That's reality. But, you know, just get over that and move forward. So do you feel in dreams that um, if you have a dream that's like super new, super real, nobody's really doing it in your neighborhood or your house or your business and stuff, um, because it's a first-to-market concept uh, or first-to-introduce-into-an-institution concept, um, you have to go through that educational process as part of moving forward in the dream? 
Well, I, yes, but some things obviously are, you know, with, with technology today, a lot of those things are much more uh, readily adaptable and, and can catch fire a lot quicker than in the past. I mean, if you think about, I uh, just think about Amazon. I mean, it started off the dream was to, to transform the way that, that the world reads. And quickly that transformed in, you know, like the dream, you know, like transformed into, okay, well, that, that worked. Okay, so how do we transform the way that the world shops? And they've they've disrupted you know, like and that hasn't taken long to catch on in the relative you know like it, 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 in the relative course of history if you just think about how dramatically that has transformed the retail landscape uh, it was so intuitive and it was it was really meeting a, a you know, like a, an emerging unmet consumer need in terms of the hassle of shopping and parking and time and this that and the other that. That it, you know, it caught obviously caught on like wildfire, and and well, we all know how uh, dramatically that has transformed the retail landscape. So, uh, yes, it does require education, and but I think it requires commitment. And again, I, I think uh, had you know had Jeff Bezos not been thinking bigger and been thinking about okay, so you know what's the next dream, and and how do we make that happen, and specifically what does it look like, and you know, how do we plan and prepare to make that happen? And, and how do we have the courage to actually, you know, engage? I mean, then it, it would never have happened. So, yeah, well, yeah. with with companies that are disruptive, Google and, and um, Apple and Amazon, I mean, okay, look, right now, Amazon is uh, disrupting because they're actually, they're opening stores and it, they've changed the retail store. They, they, you know, they didn't start with retail store. They didn't have any brick and mortar. And uh, they they really didn't have any products. They still don't have any products. They're just a they're just a a database for for throughput. So um, for for now, they're disrupting by saying, okay, you know what? We're going to do brick and mortar, and the brick and mortars are going to be like no other brick and mortar store that's out there. People walk in, they grab something, they walk out. That's it, and it's all based on their phone and the technology recognizing that they're an Amazon client and they have all their information and they know if they have a good credit rating or not. And you just go into the store and you grab it. Now, consumers that are coming out of that store are telling you, oh, my God, I just did this. I came out of the store. It felt weird. Very soon, it will not feel weird, and when they go into a store that doesn't do that, they'll get pissed off. They'll say, why aren't you doing this? Well, I, well what I don't want people to, to, to think about is that every dream has to be a, like creating Amazon dream. Actually, the engine of this country is small business. We've got to, you know, and, but each of those businesses have an important role to play, and I would just urge, you know, urge everybody to, to, to be as specific as possible about the dream for that business. Be as intentional as possible. Plan and prepare to make it successful. Make sure it's distinctive and relevant. And then, what doing all of that, you're going to build your courage, and you're actually going to make it happen. Well, also, um, there's a lot of technology. We you kind of hinted about this earlier in the interview, but um, the the there is just a tremendous amount of cost-effective solutions out there today. I mean, ridiculous uh, how much stuff's out there for practically nothing or free. Which gives uh, the you know the 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 small business person, um, the the uh, the striving entrepreneur, the big dreamer, all these wonderful tools for them to do way 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 more that would cost tens of thousand dollars and and way back hundreds or even millions of dollars to to have as an asset. Do you think people just don't get what an amazing world they're in right now and the advantages that they have because of all this um, cost effective solutions? 
Now you're going to make me sound old. I have a fax machine. That's right. Well, we don't, I'm sure we don't appreciate it enough. I mean, when I started at Procter & Gamble, they, we didn't have computers. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have the internet. So <laughs> you name, I mean, so, uh, and I actually don't feel very old. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, we've got just a tremendous number of tools to, to enable us. It's just a matter of how do we, how do we use those? Again, I think the, the clearer, we, we understand what it is that we need to plan and prepare for success, the better we can utilize those tools. Um, you know, it, we, we're coming back again and again to, to you know, clarity, planning, uh, shooting towards that plan, understanding where you're going and, and why you're going there and, and the velocity that you're trying to get there. Um, do you think that out of, of everything, for you, that's the most important lesson in the book or is there something else that you think is even more key? Uh, well, no, I think that's really the, that's really the foundational message I, uh, that I, that I want to, people to understand. It's not just a message, but what I'm trying to do is help, help, help people really articulate clearly what their dreams are. And then for both for business, for all of the grab bags in their life, and then just make them, you know, make it, make them all come to life. Uh, because I think that way they can fulfill their full potential as defined by them. And that's really what I'm trying to achieve. Mm. Um, for you, when you were putting this book together, I mean, you know, you've got a tremendous amount of experience from some pretty big organizations. You've done some amazing stuff. Um, but, you know, when you, you take stuff that's been in your head and you're putting it down on paper and you're organizing, you're, you're actually creating a book, uh, there's, a this you know, things clarify, and, and I call it the aha moment, where you are working on something and you, uh, you stumble across something that you know is true, but you have this moment where it's like, wow, and you really get it right down to your core. It, it's a very specific feeling. What was your aha moment for this book? When I put it together, I went back through it. It all came together in a way that I think was more powerful than I was, than I was hoping. So that was my, I guess that was my biggest aha moment for the, for the book. Another big aha moment that, that, or reflection that is, is this concept that I don't think there is such a thing as work-life balance. There is just life balance of which work is a part. Uh, and work is an incredibly important part of that. But if you lose sight of the fact that there are all of these other grab bags in your life, then uh, you may be successful in one, one component of your life, but you're still not going to feel like you're achieving your full potential because you're letting other things, uh, other things drop. So that was another big aha. Uh -huh. Let's go back to that because I think that is, you know, one of the tragedies of, of entrepreneurship uh, is people getting addicted to the, the dream or addicted to their goals or their, their company and neglecting other things in their life that are critically important, their, their relationships, their, um, their, the, the goals and the achievements of their children and not being able to celebrate them because they think, no, it's more important that I... I worked this weekend to move move the company forward. Um, do you think that is uh, something people really have to take very, very seriously for long-term success in their goals? Well, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I, so I guess the, the, the brief answer to that is the one-word uh, one answer, which is yes. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Absolutely. Okay, so you're in an organization that's really, really busy and, you know, we've got all these deadlines and stuff. And, and let's face it, you know, the world is, is really, really fast and, and lots happening. How do you make time? How do you prioritize? Do we go back to, to what you were talking about with grab bags and, and uh, realizing, look, at 
you know, I'm going to have to go and face my boss and say, hey, I have to spend more time with my family because that's important to me being able to work well for you. The boss, unless he's a complete idiot, is going to say, of course, you know, gosh, you should be spending more time with your family. You know, how can we help? How can we work together to reach your um, responsibilities here at, at, at the office yeah. and yet be able to, to go home and, and not worry about it and, and deal with the family? Well, again, I think, you know, I, I think, you, first of all, you have to summon the courage to have that conversation. And if the answer is, you know, if the answer is, you know, I don't care about your family, just, you know, put your head down and keep working, then that individual has a decision to make that they can either, <laughs> you know, it's kind of binary. I'm either going to continue to work here and not have that and not have my life balance uh, in uh, my life in balance, or uh, I'm going to I'm going to make a change. So that's all of that would have been, you know, like would be good feedback for that for that particular uh, individual. And I would I would urge them that if they if they don't get the response that they're looking for uh, in terms of, you know, like a, a supervisor or, or a company that's willing to work with you to enable you to be a more, you know, to, to feel like you have a more complete and balanced life, then uh, you probably want to go elsewhere. Absolutely. But, but, but again, you have to pluck up the courage to have that conversation. Well, before plucking up the courage to have that conversation, you have to be able to articulate what is the dream that I have for my family? You know, what is the, you know, like, and again, I, I go back to, you know, try and be as specific as possible about that. It's not that I just want to have a good relationship with my son and my wife and my daughter. It's okay. So what, you know, how can you get more specific as possible? I mean, I want to be able to, I want us to be able to spend a couple of hours a night together uh, instead of me coming home at 11 o'clock every night, whatever, whatever it is. But I mean, the more specificity you can put behind it, the clearer you can be about what it is that that, that dream looks like and the more effective you're going to be when you sit down with your supervisor. Do you think that, uh, well, I mean, and for me, I, I decided, well, you know what, I, I know that kids, you have to spend a tremendous amount of time with kids and, and devote a lot of time to your kids. So I, I radically changed the structure of my whole, whole organization for 15 years so that when my kids were, you know, basically zero years old all the way up to 15, I was there working in the house so that I could, uh, you know, dad's always there. And uh, I remember when uh, I got headhunted out and, and uh, we moved to, back to Canada, I had to work full time at this organization. And, and after six months, uh, it wasn't working. So I left and I started my own organization again. And the kids at the meeting we had, because I run my house like a, a business, at the meeting we had at the, at the house, I said, hey, <laughs> hey, kids, just to let you know, um, I'm going to leave the job I've been working at, and I'm going to be hanging around uh, a lot more and, and doing stuff that I used to do. And they, they both smiled and said, oh, that's great, because they knew I was going to be around, and, and they knew I could, they could bug me and stuff like that, and I would always stop work. You had a very specific dream about what family life looked like to you, and you took the action required to make it happen. So... But now it's changing, right? It's like the kids are all grown up and they're super independent. I don't, you know, 15, 16, they're pretty solid. And now you got it. I'm working on huge, huge projects where I am going to have to work, you know, between 40 and 90 hours a week. But it doesn't matter. I've, I've done that part. That dream's well, well in its way. And uh, it's basically self-managing, so I don't have to worry about it. But it's, I don't think people, they're not committing large enough chunks in their life. They're, they're saying, oh, you know, I've got this dream and gosh, I want to accomplish it in a month or I want to accomplish it in, in maybe eight months. They don't think, what am I going to do for the next 15 years? Do you think people don't dream long enough? 
I mean, the big dreams take some time. You know, Michael, Michael Phelps had a dream to become the most decorated Olympian of all time. He was very intentional about it, declared it in a way that everybody was talking about it. Um, but that didn't happen without a heck of a lot of planning and preparation. You know, like he came up with advantaged training strategies, dedication in the pool, you name it. And then, and then he had the courage to actually go out there and do it. Uh, and so that took, that took a long time. Our sailing preparation and trip took a long time. Starting businesses takes a long time usually. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you're going to have some that are, that are quick, that are quick and others that are just, you just got to have the stamina to, to, to stick it out over time. Yeah. I mean, stamina and patience. I think a lot of time people come uh, you know, um, impatient with the idea or, or impatient with progress and then start doing crazy things and, and cause their company to suffer or their, their dreams to actually go further away than coming closer because they're just not number one, listening and seeing what's going on around them and realizing, well, everybody's slow right now, so get over it. Yeah. Um, you know, you brought this up several times, but one uh, thing that comes up again and again is listening. How critical is it for, for people to stop talking so much and, and actually listening and, and stop the hustle and bustle of the day for, for an hour or 15 minutes or even five minutes and just like meditate a little bit. And, and like a lot of people say, ah, oh, meditation, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, whatever it word you want to use is you just try and stop thinking about all the things you're doing that day and focus on where you're trying to go and try to figure out, uh, well, maybe managing your dream a little bit every day, just a little bit to make sure that it, it's, it's well-tended. Yeah, I think it's I think it's critical. If you if you buy into the premise that dreams are the most powerful force on the planet, I challenge you to think, okay, well, how much of your time time are you actually spending, you know, thinking about them with with any kind of degree of intentionality? So yeah, I spend I spend a little bit of time most mornings. I don't know whether you call it meditation or whatever, just reflection on, okay, all on track. You know, you know, what steps are we going to make today in each of the different grab bags to to move those dreams forward. Well, you know, it, and as easy as that sounds to do, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do to to be able to wake up and not start running around. It's like, oh, I got to get ready, got to have a shower, I got to do this, I got to that. Oh, and then the kids get to school. You know, you can panic yourself into to actually not getting a lot of stuff accomplished. And it goes all the way back to, you know, every day is a dream. When you wake up out of, you know, being asleep and actually having dreams, uh, to reality you got to kind of jump into it like, okay, what's my first goal? What do I have to accomplish in the next 10 minutes? And how can I do that as efficiently as possible? Do you think it takes a lot of uh, discipline to be a great dreamer? I think it takes discipline to to unleash the full potential of all of your dreams. Uh, and, and I'm not straight as an arrow guy. I mean, there's always going to be things that, that throw you off a little bit. But I just I just happen to think that the, the more discipline you can apply to getting specific about your dreams and, and you know, following some sort of some sort of approach that's going to increase your chances or increase your ability to make them happen. Uh, I think you're going to, I think you're going to be able to feel more fulfilled uh, and to achieve your more of your potential again, as defined by you, not by anybody else uh, than, than not. Now for, for our listeners and, and people that have read your book, where, where should they go to learn more? Do you have like a blog? Um, do you use social media? Where, where, how should people try and get a hold of you? Well, the easiest way to get a hold of me to me is through my my website, which is thecagegroup.org, which is my company. Uh, but they can they can uh, easily go on uh, online to Amazon.com, and and the book is available now for for sale. We've been talking with Jeremy Cage. All dreams on deck. 
charting the course for your life and your work. And gosh, great chat. And I just love what you're teaching people. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Bob, thanks so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening. Please share this interview if you think your network of business friends would benefit from it. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite Android app. Also, don't forget to check out www.businessbooktalk.com for more business book interviews.